and good morning. Welcome to Grace. If you guys will stand up, we're going to sing together. Searching comes and look itself. 
Psalm 27, beginning in verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, I do seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not. O God of my salvation. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we do confess today, Lord, that though our greatest need is to seek your face and to dwell with you and to be with you, we do confess this morning, Lord, that that is not our greatest desire. But Lord, we chase after, we chase after the desires of our hearts sins, Lord, are quick to our minds and quick to our hands, Lord. So, Father, we do confess these to you now. Lord, we do thank you for the forgiveness you offer us in Christ Jesus, your Son. We pray this in his name. Amen.
you help us to worship you in spirit and in truth right now, God. Help us to worship you only. Lord, I pray that you will tear away every pretense, God, every thought that's trying to steal away your glory, God. Help us to worship you purely of hearts that love you. Oh, my. 
This is a new one we haven't uh, sung before, but if you guys will just stand with us, this is just a great song to sing as a church and to remind ourselves how God sees us and uh, has some unique language that, that talks about that. So if you haven't heard this before, just uh, yeah, sing along and you'll, oh, you're going to figure it out. <laughs> so let's, let's sing this together.
I, I love getting to speak with your youth and your children, but it's, it's always good to, to see y'all, y'all too, especially in the second service where I never get to see you. Um, in the announcements, I'm going to put my shameless youth minister plug in, like I do every time. Uh, in the announcements, we mentioned uh, Shoes for Orphan Souls, this ministry that uh, we're doing as a church, it's a ministry that the, the youth youth ministries participating in, where we are collecting these new children's shoes for orphans. Uh, they have warehouses all over the country, and we're, they're collecting them, and then we, uh, we send them out around the world to uh, the children. We send them out uh, with the gospel as well. Uh, so their physical bodies not only impacted, but also their, their souls for the, for the kingdom of Christ. And I want to encourage you to participate in that. Uh, the youth are going to go up on November 7th. Uh, few weeks and they're actually going to work in the warehouse packing them and organizing them and and uh, serving Christ in that manner. Uh, but I, I want to put that ministry out there for y'all so y'all can join in in the kingdom of God going forth to all nations. Uh, so I'm asking y'all to, to bring some new shoes for that. There's the drop box out the foyer. Uh, we've set a goal of 65 shoes. Uh, but man, if we could each, just, each family just bring one pair of shoes and we, we could far exceed that, that goal. And it does my heart well uh, to show up on Sunday morning and look over there. Uh, we had 10 shoes at the end of last week and this week. Uh, I might have to empty the box some because it's, it's filling up. And, and I thank you for that. Uh, <clears throat> now to our text. If you have your Bibles, if you would open up to the book of Matthew chapter 22. Uh, Dave will be in Matthew chapter 24 uh, next week. But this week he asked me to go backwards and go back to Matthew chapter 22 so we can discuss the, the great commandment. Um, every now and again, you read a verse and sometimes as a, as a preacher or a teacher or a Sunday school teacher, uh, if you lead a small group, and you, you, you read this verse and when you read it, you, you scratch your head and you say, what more can you say? I mean, the, the, the scripture just seems so, so simple and so concise and so evident, you're like, there it is, do it. Uh, and we have one of those passages today, and so I want to read it with you today. It's Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 34, going down to verse 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced, that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? the law. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is a great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and all of the prophets. To some extent, I just want to say, done. Go do it. You know, it seems so simple, so straightforward. But I think so oftentimes when we read a simple, straightforward passage, we have a great ability at missing the point of what's being said. Have you ever done the thing where uh, it's like an icebreaker thing where the, the leader will say, all right, if your life were a song, what song would it be? Uh, I'm really bad at music and... I don't listen to too much radio, uh, so I couldn't do that. 
But if, if I were to say, if my life were a book, I could do that. And I, I found a book that really encapsulates me. It, it, it defines me. And this is it right here. Um, that would be my book. Adventures in Missing the Point. Uh, I'm great at it. I always miss the point. You know, my, my wife will be like, Stephen, can, can you wash the dishes for me? Oh, yeah, sure, I can wash the dishes. I go in there, I run them under the water, stick them in the dishwasher. Hey, honey, I'm done. Uh, but she'll come in there later on and she'll be like, oh, I thought I asked you to wash the dishes. I'm like, I did. They're in the dishwasher. They're in the drying board. But when she says wash the dishes, she's saying, dry the dishes. Put the dishes up. Turn the dishwasher on. Wipe the cabinets down. Pick up any food that might, or trash that might be on the floor. And then there's like another level of, do it because you love me. I'm tired. And like, I completely missed the point. So this would be my book. We do this with a passage. Uh, and it is true, as, as you grow and mature, your, your, your book changes. This is my book right now. I missed the point. Uh, but when, when I was in high school, this would be it. Uh, this, was, <laughs> this was my life in high school. Uh, and and in college, <laughs> and for a few years of seminary, this is it. But if if I were being, if I was being really honest, it wouldn't be like just dating goodbye. It would be uh, yeah, dating. That that would be that would be my theme right there. <laughs> but anyways, we we have this horrible horrible habit of just missing the point of what's being said, and when Jesus stood up to the Pharisees and said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Whenever he said, love your neighbor as yourself, so oftentimes we miss the point of what Jesus is really doing. Jesus just isn't throwing out two commandments and two passages of scripture from the Old Testament. What Jesus is doing is Jesus is putting out an invitation to us. Jesus is putting out an invitation to do what God has been doing from the start of time. From the start of time, God has been about two things. God has been about himself. God has a great passion for himself. And God has a great passion for us, his people, his creation. And what God is doing in this passage is he is reaching out, saying, be passionate, be, be about what I am about. Be about me, be about God. And be about your neighbor. Be about your brothers and sisters. Be about others. And this is not a new thing for God. God has always been about this. And when we look back across the Old Testament into the New Testament and and into eternity, it's always going to be the same. When we look at the Garden of Eden, when God created man and woman and, and his image, he gave them a commandment. He said, man and woman, you are, you are the, the climax of creation. You are made in my image. You are like me. Therefore, I'm going to give you a job that is like what I'm doing. I want you to go out to the earth. I want you to subdue it. I want you to rule over it. I want you to have authority. What God was saying is, I am a king. I have authority. I am making you like me. I want you to be about what I am about. And so God has invited humanity into what uh, he's doing. Of course, Adam and Eve sinned. They rebelled against God. They fought against God. Uh, it was not enough for them to be like God. They wanted to be God. And sin entered the world. 
We see that God was inviting us to be about what he's about when we read the story of Abraham in Genesis 12. God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your family. And I want you to follow me. I want you to obey me. Obey me. I want you to be about me because that's what I'm about. He said, if you do that, all the families of the world will be blessed through you. So he's saying, I want you to be about me. I want you to follow me. And when you do, all the families of the world will be blessed. I want you to be about God. I want you to be about people. We see that when we look at Moses. When Moses was on Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, and we read the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, you can almost divide them down the middle. Half of the Ten Commandments is about being in right relationship with God. It's about how to love God. The second half of the Ten Commandments is about man. How to love your fellow man. How to respect him and honor him. We see it when we turn to the prophet season. When God is saying, I love you. I've called you out to worship me and to make much of me. But what did Israel do? They squandered God's invitation. They did not make much of God, but they made much of themselves. And they made much of other gods. And they did not love their brothers, but fought against their brothers, cheated their brothers, sold their brothers into slavery. And God, even though we reject Him, and even though we turn Him away, is always calling us back to this primary invitation to love God and make much of Him and to love our brother. We see that in Micah 6.8 whenever Dave mentioned it last week. I was like, ah, yes. Uh, the prophet Micah stood up and said, He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. To love justice and kindness and to walk humbly with your God. God was once again calling people back saying, Make much of God. Love God. And love me. God is saying, This is what I'm about and I want you to be about it too. But once again, like the people of Israel, like Adam and Eve, like Moses, like Abraham, we are on this great adventure of missing the point and missing the invitation of God. When we look at Matthew chapter 22, we find that the Pharisees did this. The Pharisees came to Jesus. They, they didn't like him. He was stealing their thunder. And uh, they said, let's track him. Let's, let's test him. Let's ask Jesus this question that will make people hate him. Because he can't please everybody with the answer. And this question that they asked was a question that all the Jewish rabbis and teachers were asking. Which was the greatest commandment? Uh, which is the greatest? There is, they, they counted 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And they spent much of their time debating and arguing, weighing which is a heavy commandment, which is a light commandment. Which is a great commandment, which is a least commandment. One Pharisee might say, well, the greatest commandment is to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That was the first commandment given in, in, in Genesis chapter 2. And, and, and an opposing rabbi would say, well, that can't be it. Because what if, what if you serve false gods? So the greatest commandment has to be serve other, no other gods. Worship no other gods. And it always caused this great debate. Always caused this great fight. And so they came to Jesus asking him this question, hoping, hoping. That would cause problems for him. But once again, the Pharisees missed the point. What the Pharisees was wanting, what we oftentimes want, is, and it is we want an objective answer to that question. 
when we say what's the greatest commandment, we want an objective answer where we can say, I am doing this or I am not doing this. To say, I am keeping the Sabbath or I am breaking the Sabbath. I am worshiping gods in my closet or I'm not worshiping gods. They wanted an objective answer to this question of what is the greatest commandment so they could have for themselves a checklist. When you make your faith or your religion a checklist, what you're doing is you're developing a religion for yourself that does not need God. You're developing a religion for yourself where you can take God out of the equation. You can say, yes, when the sun went down on Friday and the Sabbath day started, I didn't work. Therefore, I am right with God, I am holy, I am, I am good. You say, I, I went to my house and I searched under my bed and under my closets and, and I couldn't find any idols in my house. Therefore, I am keeping the greatest commandment. And since I am keeping the greatest commandment, I must be good. No idols. Check. Keeping the Sabbath day. Check. And we're always trying to have this objective list where we can say we are either keeping or breaking the commandments. Because when we do that, we can take God out of the equation. But what did Jesus do? Jesus did not give them an objective yes or no commandment, did he? Jesus said, you want the greatest commandment? You want to be in right relationship with God? You want to have salvation and eternity? This is what you have to do. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And you must love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus gave them this very subjective commandment. You can't wake up in the morning and say, loving God with all my mind? Check. Loving my neighbor as myself? Check. It's much more difficult to do that. Because this command that Jesus has given us reaches into the very core of who we are and what we are about. It affects every decision we will make in our lives. When we wake up in the morning and we put our clothes on, we have to say, am I honoring God with what I'm wearing? When we get in a car and we turn our radio on, are we honoring God with what we're listening to? When we're driving down the road, are we honoring God with the way we drive or we a jerk? <laughs> Subjective, and it touches every decision that you make in your life. So, what I want to do with the rest of our time is I want to look at this invitation that God has given us to be about what He is about. What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? How can we do this when it is so subjective. So let's let's break it apart. The, the first part, there's, there's two parts to this, obviously. The, the first part is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second part is uh, how do you love your neighbor as yourself? And the invitation that God has given us is this. God is passionate about himself. God is loving himself. And God is saying, I want you to love me too. Now, I think, I think whenever we hear that, I know some people are turned off by it. God loves himself, and he wants us to love him too. 
And we say, well, well, doesn't that sound somewhat arrogant of God? Doesn't that sound somewhat egotistical? Would God really do that? I mean, whenever we do that, yeah, we're being pretty arrogant. I know we have a ping pong table up, up in the youth room. And, and every time we walk in, I walk in like this and I'm like, I am the champion. I am the bull. No one can take my place. No one can beat me. I'm the best ping pong player in the world. Very egotistical, very arrogant. <laughs> of course, no one takes me seriously because every time there's like a new seventh grade girl, like they destroy me. But, but we think people are arrogant whenever they say, make much of me. I'm the best. I'm awesome. And there's three reasons why it's okay for God to say this. God is not being arrogant. God is not being egotistical when he's saying this. And there's three reasons why. Here they are. First of all, God can say, I love me and I want you to love me too because I'm great. First of all, because it's true. It's true. Our God is great. Our God is awesome. There is nothing like him in all the world. I tell my sixth graders whenever they first come to my class at the first of the year, um, <laughs> I'm like, you're not all that special, guys. Really. Don't think too much of yourself. You know, everyone says you're like a snowflake and uh, how every snowflake is unique. Yeah, there's a lot of snowflakes out there. <laughs> so, so don't come into my class thinking you're all that. You're going to get away with things because I'll smash you down. You've got to sell them straight at the beginning of the school year. But with God, there's nothing like God in the whole world. There's nothing like God in the whole universe. There's, a, there's the book of Job. It's a great book. Um, Job was, was a rich man, a wealthy man. He was a man who loved God. And Job went through some, some, terrible, some terrible things. Uh, he had 10 kids. All 10 kids died one day. Uh, he had this great wealth, this great business, tons of servants. Lost all of his wealth. Lost all of his servants in one day. His wife turns on him. He's sitting there mourning. His friends come. And his friends turn on him. And the whole time, Job, Job is struggling on whether or not he's going to remain faithful to God. He never curses him, but at one point in time, he raises up his head in anguish and says, God, are you just? Are you righteous? Are you holy? Who, who can I go to, to to take my case because I've been mistreated? And then at the end of the book of Job, it's, it's really just this beautiful, beautiful passage where God comes to Job and speaks to him out of a whirlwind. And he says, Job... Stand up like a man and answer my questions. If you're ever in this case when God comes to you and says, stand up like a man and, and answer my questions, you, you're in for it. All right? God came to Job and says, Job, answer my questions. Were you there when I put the stars in the sky? Were you there when I dug the depths of the oceans? Were you there when I hung the sky? Were, were you there when I did all these things? Do you know my depths? Do you know my heights? You can't fathom me. 
I am that amazing. I am that awesome. I am that big. In the Old Testament, there's this thing called Leviathan. Leviathan is this mythical creature. It's like a giant serpent monster thing. Uh, and what it represents in the Old Testament is, is nothing but uh, the sum of all your fears. So you think about the thing that scares you most. And this Leviathan thing encapsulates it all. And God steps up to Job and says, Job, can you take Leviathan and put a leash around its neck? And can you lead Leviathan, the sum of all your fears, around like it's a puppy dog? Can you tame it and make it a pet for your daughter? You can't. But I can. Because I am God. Guys, there's, there's nothing out there like God. He's amazing. If there is one thing or being in this world or outside this world that deserves our worship, it is Him. And any time we don't worship Him, we are selling ourselves short and we are insulting the one who made us. So God can say, I am awesome. I want you to worship me because it's true. Not only that, He can say it because it's the best thing for us. It's the best thing for us. God's saying, I make much of myself and I want you to make much of me. That invitation is what's good for you. Uh, at the end of, end of August... My wife and I had our, our first child, and I was so excited to have children because now I have like this endless supply of illustrations. Uh, so first sermon after her birth, I'm going to use her. Uh, our daughter's name is Abigail Emery. Uh, she's about six, seven weeks now. Uh, I know I'm a bad father. I should know exactly. But, uh, all she does right now is be chunky and be cute. That's, that's what she does. But I'm, I'm a little worried about myself because, like, I'll ask her to do things and she just ignores me. Like she'll, she'll be crying and I'm like, Abigail, honey, be quiet. And she just, horrible father, what can I say? But one day, my daughter's going to grow up and she's going to have the ability to, to hear me and understand me and, and rebel against me. And one day, I'm going to go to my daughter and I'm going to say, honey, Abigail, probably say Abigail Emery because she's in trouble. I'll say, honey, don't do that. Listen to your daddy. Obey me. When I'm telling my daughter to obey me, I'm not saying, daughter, obey me because I am your wise father. I, I created you. You are a part of me. You belong to me. I want you to honor and respect me. That's not what I'm doing. But what I'm doing is I'm saying, daughter, honey, I want you to obey me. I want you to listen to me because it is what is right and good for you. And you can hurt yourself if you don't listen to me. You can be injured if you don't listen to me. So my imposing my authority over her is not me saying, yeah, I'm awesome, but it's me saying it's what's best for you. When God is coming to you and saying, I am making much of myself and I want you to make much of me as well, what he is doing is he is telling us what is best for us. And it leads us to the third way of why God's not being egotistical uh, or arrogant. And this, if we don't make much of God, 
if we don't accept his invitation and, our, and, and, and make much of him, then we're going to be making much of something else. 99.9% of the time, what we're making much of is ourselves. And though we might not stand up and say, I am awesome, be like me, through our actions and attitudes, we're saying, I am the center of the universe. What matters is what I want. I am going to go after my dreams. I am going to go after my desires. And who's in my way doesn't really matter. I'm most important. And we become that thing that we said we despise. That arrogance. So God is not being arrogant when he does this. He's inviting us to make much of him as he makes much of himself. How do we do this? This is, this is kind of hard. Uh, we, we could do a few different things, right? We could take love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And we could divide those things up and say, how do we love God with our heart? How do we love God with our soul? How do we love God with our mind? But once again, I think we'd be missing the point. What Jesus is saying is, I want you to love God with all that you are and all that you have. I want you to love God holistically. And this begins with the gospel. It begins with the gospel. The gospel basically says that, that God created us. And that God that created us is a good, perfect, holy God. And we are his creation. But we rebelled against our God. We sinned against him. And the result of that rebellion is hell and death. And separation from him forever. The God that created us, the God that we rebelled against, showed us great mercy in that he said, I am not going to leave you behind, but I am going to show love to you. So this God of the universe sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in human likeness. He lived a perfect life on, heaven, on earth. And when Jesus died on the cross, he was innocent. But the sins of this world, your sins, my sins, were laid on Christ at that moment. And when Christ died, though he was innocent, he died a sinner's death. And the wrath of God was poured out on him. And he was separated from his father. The gospel tells us, though, that death could not contain him, that God raised him from the dead. And now, for whoever believes in him, whoever calls out his name, whoever, whoever repents of their sin and follows God, we no longer live under the sin that dominated our life. But we live under the perfect righteousness that dominated the right of Christ. It's this great substitution where Jesus gets our sin he gets our death, he gets our separation, he gets our hell, and where we get Jesus' righteousness on our life. If you want to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you have to have the gospel. And if you do not have the gospel, then you cannot love God as he is. If you do not have the gospel, then you are loving something other than God. 
first step to loving God with all you are and all you have is to believe in the gospel, to love God as he is. And after that, the Holy Spirit indwells our lives and begins to transform us to the image of his Son. And those sins that used to dominate us then begin to, to die off. And we can slay them through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean now that you are a believer, that you have the Holy Spirit in your life, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind? It means that you are no longer giving sin a place in your life. You are becoming holy as Christ is holy. Like a bride wearing a brilliant white dress. You're presenting yourself to God. So this is my question for you. This is, this is what I want you to do. I want you to begin to ask yourself questions. Questions to see if you are allowing sin, dominion in your life. Sins like, and questions like, am I loving God when, when I carry this pride around? When I carry this, this chip on my shoulder? Am I loving God with all my being when, when I have this, this short hairpin trigger uh, of, of this anger and aggression that I can just go off and lose it at any moment? Am I loving God with, with all that I am when, when as, as, as a married person, you're not faithful to your spouse with your eyes, with your thoughts, with your actions? Are you loving God with, with all you are? Just fill in the blank. And my prayer right now as we speak is that the Holy Spirit brings your sin up to the surface. And that right now you can put your finger on it. And you can say, this is where I'm not loving God with all of me. This is a sin that I'm holding on to. I am guilty of this. That you would repent of it. That's how you love God with all that you are. You obey Him. But how do we love our neighbors as ourselves? Uh, when Jesus answers this question uh, in the book of Luke, he answers another question. Uh, Jesus said the second greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. Uh, well, that was the first. The second one was to, uh, uh, to love your neighbor as yourself. And the Pharisees answered back with another question and said, well, Jesus, who, who is my neighbor? Because they didn't. That was the debate of the day. Is my neighbor the person that lives next door? Is my neighbor the person who lives in my community? Is my neighbor the person who is a fellow Israelite? Uh, do we have to love the Gentiles too? Or can we just ignore them? And, and so that was the big question of the day. Is who's my neighbor? Today, because of Jesus' answer to that question, I think we know who our neighbor is. Our neighbor is everyone we come into contact with. Our neighbor is every other single human being on this earth. Our question today is not who is my neighbor. Our question is how do I love my neighbor? How, how, how do I love my neighbor as, as I love myself? And I think we can find the answer in the book of Philippians chapter 2. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, just kind of turn over there. 
you're using the P violence, it's on a page 981. 980. Philippians chapter 2. Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, is telling us how we can love our neighbor. It says this in verse 3. Paul says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. How do you love your neighbor? You consider them as better than yourselves. What that means is that if you harbor racism in your heart, you're not loving your neighbor. What that means, if you look down on someone else because they have more or less money than you do, you're not loving your neighbor. What that means if you're saying, well, I'm an American, I'm the best in the world, and I'm going to look down another country, you're not loving your neighbor. Any time in your life when you look at someone and you say, thank God I'm not like them, you're not loving your neighbor. Let's keep reading. Uh, verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What does it mean? It means if you want to love your neighbor, if you want to love your brother, if you want to love people and accept God's invitation to do so, you can't look out for yourself only. It means you have to look out for other people's needs. You have to work to fulfill them. It says later on uh, in verse 5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What Paul is saying, if you want to accept God's invitation to love God as he is, if you want to accept God's invitation to love your neighbor and your brother and your sister, then you have to. You have to serve them. You have to serve them. If you can look in your life right now and you can say, you know what, I don't serve anybody serve anybody but myself. If you can look at your life right now and say, the only interests I look out for are my interests. The only agenda I serve is my agenda. Brothers and sisters of Christ, we're not loving our neighbor. We've rejected the invitation of God. And it has bigger implications than you think. Because you can't say, yeah, I might be kind of self, somewhat self-centered. I might serve my own interests. I might not serve anybody. But you know what? I, I, I still love God. This is what the Apostle John had to say about that. In the book of 1 John, chapter 4, verse 19. We love because He first loved us. 
If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For from him, I'm sorry, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that whoever loves God must also love his brother. So this is, let's, let's follow the logic and we'll, we'll wrap it up. If you want to love God, you have to love your brother. If you want to love your brother, you have to serve your brother. And if you do not serve your brother, then you do not love God. My call to you today is to accept the invitation of God to love God as God loves himself and to love your brother and your sister and your neighbor as God loves you. My call to you today is a call to serve. A call to serve one another. There are some of you who are doing this and I commend you. Some of you do it here in the church. You might mow the grass. You might work a day a month in the nursery. You might cook for Celebrate Recovery. You might be on the mercy team and deliver food to people in need. I commend you for serving. And I know other of you are, are serving people outside of the church. And I commend you. Man, when, when your co-worker had a child, you, know, you took them a meal. When your neighbor fell on hard times, man, you stuck that envelope of cash in their mailbox to pay their bill. And you're serving people. I don't care where you serve people, but serve. Love your brother. And in doing so, you'll love God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you, oh Lord, that you have uh, given us this invitation to love you to love your people. Lord, we are honored by it because we most certainly uh, do not deserve it. Father, give us the strength that we need to, uh, to love you with our whole being. To never stop thinking about you. That your name is the first name that comes to our mind when we wake up. It's the last name we whisper when we go to bed. Father, we pray this in the name of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you guys will stand with us, let's sing one last song. Um, this song is called Rise. And the chorus just says, rise, people of love, rise. Give yourself away. Um, so I think that's an appropriate response to, to what we just heard. Um, let's sing it as a church.